Love that song. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, praise team. It's wonderful seeing you guys up here and leading us out in worship. We do welcome you today. I know that uh, many are watching us online. Many are still traveling uh, during the holiday season. Ken Farmer told me earlier they are going to open presents today. So you just do what you got to do, right, with family and sharing family like we have to do. And so, but we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here today, whether you're in person, live here at 10,500 Jollyville Road in Austin, Texas. But many of you, most of you by far, the large majority of you are watching us online, coast to coast, some literally all over the world, and we sincerely welcome you. We're delighted to have you join with us and worship with us. And if you would, you could do us a favor, whether you're in the house or at your house, if you'd push that Facebook share button, that would be fantastic because that would let everybody know that you're worshiping the Lord at Great Hills and that will encourage other people to join in with us as well. And so again, we are just excited. You know about this new year, as Terry said a moment ago, 2020 is in the rearview mirror. And so we're looking forward to 2021 and all that, uh, all that God has for us personally, individually, as families, as a church, and as a nation. I know just over the last couple of weeks, we've had many families grieving in our church family who have loved ones who have passed away. I really try to catch myself and not use the phraseology that we've lost loved ones. Because look, if we know where they are, then we have not lost them, right? We know that our loved ones who know Jesus, they're in heaven, so we really shouldn't say we've lost people, but we could say that heaven gained some people. And I'm thinking about the Bird family, the Birch family, the Cloud family, and the Lejeune family. And uh, Jeremy Lejeune, I preached his funeral message just a couple of weeks ago, and y'all may not know this, but his dad died just a few days ago. And so I can't imagine the, the pain, the suffering that... Uh, his mother and, you know, you think about a wife whose, whose son went to be with the Lord and then just a few days later uh, her husband passes away. So there's so much hurt and, and a lot of people are struggling during this holiday and I just want you to know we're praying for you and we love you and we're reaching out uh, to heaven to comfort you uh, in your time of need. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about the God of hope in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, that would be a great place to start. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 19. These are two passages of Scripture. I know we all have Bible texts, right? We have passages in the Bible that are our go-to texts. Do you have those passages? Do you have Bible verses and references that when the world may be caving in on you and you're tempted to fear or tempted to have doubt or you're tempted to be worried or depressed and do you have those verses that you go to well I do and the two that I go to the most are these Romans 15:13 now may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe or as you trust in him so that Paul says you may overflow you may a super abundance and abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, Ephesians 1:19. So those are the two texts that I go to and I find myself going to every time 
I sense the temptation to worry or the temptation to fear or to doubt, or whatever your temptation may be. I, if you don't have a couple of verses, I would highly recommend these, especially uh, Romans 15, 13. I found myself traveling uh, around this nation and oftentimes I preach this passage of scripture and I preach this sermon, so I'm gonna preach it to you again. A few years ago, I preached this passage of scripture, but since then, I've added, you know, preachers are good at that. They add and they find new insights. And so if I'm not careful, this sermon could become really long because it's, it's almost becoming my life sermon. It's becoming this passage of scripture that means so much to me. And so I'm gonna share it with you. Some of it may sound familiar, but I got to think, you know, uh, when I preached it last, I and mean, we've had a whole lot of people come and join in with us online and in person. So I'm excited about it. Uh, a lot of the insight that I gained from this message, not only just living life and the Lord speaking to me through his word and through experiences, but it's a book called Hope Quotient by Pastor Ray Johnston. I really encourage you, if you don't have that book, put that in your library. I would put that among the top 20 books I've ever read in my life, Hope Quotient by Pastor Ray, excuse me, Ray Johnston. Uh, he pastors a church out in the California area, run about 10,000 people weekly. And so he's, he's written a book on how you and I can raise our hope levels. Now, we all are familiar with IQ, intelligence quotient, and how through reading and memorization and through study and through discipline, we actually can raise your intelligence quotient. And Pastor Johnson argues in the same vein, we can raise our hope levels. We can get more hope more confidence, more expectation, uh, more future bliss if we will ground ourselves in the teaching of the Word of God. And so one of the passages he uses, and I love this passage, he says 1 Peter 5, 7 is kind of his go-to verse. He says he was in a very low point in his life, this pastor was, and he said he actually went and sat down in his living room, in a living room chair, and he just sat there and he said, I just felt overwhelmed by, and you fill in the blank whatever you're overwhelmed with. It may be um, a loved one, maybe some unforgiveness you're dealing with. It may be some debt, some finance. It may be some job situation, some marital situations. I don't know what the situation, I don't know what his was, but I know that this pastor said he was at the breaking point and he said, God reminded him of a verse that says this in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon Christ because Christ cares for you. And Pastor Johnson said, you know what? I've read that verse so many times. I've probably preached sermons on that verse, but it was like I'd never seen that verse before. And this is what he did. He said he literally was sitting in the chair and he said, God, your word says, I'm supposed to cast my care on you. That's what I'm going to do. And now I'm going to bed. That's what he did. He said, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to let you take care of it, God, because I know that, that you can. So 1 Peter 5, 7 is one of his verses. I don't know what yours is, but certainly this is one of mine. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you believe or as you trust in God, that you may abound. Look at that word, church. Not that you may scarcity, barely, perhaps, perchance, squeak, eek, by. No, that you may what? Say it with me, church abound, superabundance, overflow in what? In hope, by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do with this passage of Scripture in Ephesians 1.19, which to me is almost the corollary text with this Romans 15.13, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. I want to look at three words with you, three key words from these two biblical passages. And then I want to look at three practical points of application for you and for me uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He would apply these uh, to our lives. So you're doing the math. How many points am I going to have in this message? Somebody said, what's three times two? Can I help you a little bit? Six. Thank you. You're, thank you, Beatrice. You're shouting at me. I got to listen over here. Six points. So it's better than having no point, right? So we're going to look at the biblical study, first of all, and the three operative words. The three words. I want you to jot these down. I don't know if you take notes on your notepad, your computer, or the old-fashioned, you got a journal. I want you to write these three words down, and then I'm going to give you just simple declarative statements of hope and peace and joy that I think will help you to get you through, especially when you go through some dark nights uh, of your soul. The first word, obviously, is the word hope. Paul says, may the God of hope. Interesting that Paul uses this word hope to describe the character of God. Isn't that interesting? He's described, I know, in the Bible oftentimes as the God of holiness or the God of peace or the God of righteousness or the God of love, but he's also described as the God of hope. Now, what is your definition of hope? I've got three definitions for you. I told you this sermon just gets longer and longer every time I preach it because I add things to it. Uh, Well, let me give you the first one. Webster's definition of hope is, it is a feeling of expectation and a desire for certain things to happen. It's a feeling of expectation and a desire, okay, for certain things to happen. Here's another definition of hope. This is from Lisa Turkhurst in her book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. She says, hope is the echo of eternity, assuring us There is resurrection ahead of us. And then she quotes a guy by the name of Jim Cress, her counselor, her biblical counselor, who said, hope is the melody of the future and faith is dancing to that melody today. Now I'm going to give you my definition of hope. Hope to me is mm -mm, the confident assurance that everything is going to work out okay because God is in control. That's my definition of hope. Paul says, now may the God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust and as you believe uh, in him. How's your hope quotient today? On a level of one to 10, how hopeful are you? Some of you are like, well, I'm glad you're asking me today because if you had asked me a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I'm telling you, I was, I was sinking somewhere around the one, two, three level, but it's a new year. Uh, it's a new day. My expectations are lifted up. I, I see that God is absolutely in control and better days are ahead. That's the first word, the word hope. The second word is the word power. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you would overflow with hope by the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit. Now the word I want you to look at with me in Ephesians 1.19, if we'll put that on the screen, there's two words here used by Paul as he writes to the church at Ephesus. 
And he uses the word power in, in basically the same breath, Holy Spirit inspired moment. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his, what's the word? Power. The Greek word is dunamis. That's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 15, 13. Now that word dunamis, we'll leave this on the screen for just a moment. Dunamis is the, is the Greek word where, we'll leave it on the screen for just, just another minute if you would. All right, because I want to do a little word study with us. There it is. Dunamis is where we get the English word, what? Dynamite or dynamism or dynamo. I don't know what your connotation is on that word, but my connotation with that word is explosive power. That the God of hope has this power to make things right. He has this power to change situations. He has this power to save souls, save marriages, save finances. He has this awesome power because he is the God of hope. Now watch this. And the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his what? Power. Now I might be interested to know that this is an entirely different Greek word than the word dynamism or dunamis. It is the Greek word kratos. I love that word. It ranks right up there in some of my top favorite all-time Greek words. Jesus would be number one, but kratos might be number two. And it is the word sheer, utter, raw, supernatural strength. Okay. Dunamis and kratos. And so if you put it together, may what is the exceeding greatness of his dynamistic power in us who believe according to the working of his sheer, raw, absolute sovereign ability, power to make things better. This is the God that we're talking about. This is our awesome God, Father, Son, Spirit. When he is on the scene, and he changes things, he ameliorates things, he makes things so much better. He has the power, but the third word is really the operative word for you and me, and it is the word believe, right? Both of these passages of Scripture, uh, both, both texts, Romans 15, 13, and Ephesians 1, 19, have the word believe in them. Now, there are synonyms for this word, right? Trust, faith believe. All of those words basically mean the same thing. And Billy Graham helps us greatly at this point when he says it's not just mere intellectual assent. It's not just, well, I, I believe, yeah, let's get on to the next thing. No, it is a point where you absolutely trust. You put everything, you have all of your chips on the table and you move them toward Christ and say, God, I believe in you. Now, it always comes down, at least does for me, that everything hinges on this word believe. I either believe God or I don't. I either trust God or I don't. I either exhibit faith in God or I do not. It's the match that ignites the fire of the Holy Spirit. Belief or trust is the key that unlocks the treasuries of God's multitude of blessings upon our lives. If the dam is called unbelief and that dam is that which blocks 
The peace and the joy. Y'all know what a dam is, right? Damn big old concrete construction Hoover Dam. A few years ago, went out there. I thought, my word, I've never seen such an edifice. And man, it does its job. It blocks. It pushes back the water. It holds it. And for me and my Christian walk with God, if the dam that blocks the flow and the blessings of God on my life is unbelief, then that which obliterates the dam and unleashes the favor and blessing of God upon me, it is the word believe. Trust in God, hope in God, have have this confident assurance that God is in control, but God, God does everything God's going to do, but God's not going to do what he's asked you and me to do. And that's what? And that's to believe. I like what one writer says, R.H. Mounts, a biblical commentary. He says, the prayer was in Rome that God would fill all the believers there with joy and peace. Note, however, it was as you trust in him. While it is God who provides the joy and the peace... It is our continuing confidence and trust in God, now watch this, that enables God to bless us as he desires. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to conjure up hope or any other spiritual quality. Our only access to power is to believe. That is our only access to empowerment. Then God steps in and God does what he does. He does the rest. The Christian life is a supernatural life in the fullest sense of that term, Christ in you, the hope of glory, end of quote. You ever notice the direct correlation between faith and belief and the word of God? The scripture says, Romans 10, 17, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now just let let that verse marinate for just a moment. Let's don't microwave that. Let's put it in the oven for just a moment, all right? Faith comes, faith, belief, trusting in God comes by what? Hearing, but watch this, not just hearing, hearing what? The Word of God. So our faith is built up. Our faith exponentially grows. Our faith and trust and belief in God is commensurate to our intake in our study of the Word of God. That's the best thing I could share with you today that I'm going to preach the Word of God, you're gonna read the Word of God, and we together are gonna study and read the Word of God every day, seven days a week. And as we do that, God grows our faith. He establishes us, and there is this absolute connection between studying the Word of God and reading it and memorizing it and us trusting God. Okay, so those are the three words. The three, to me, are the linchpin words, the key words in Romans 15, 13 and Ephesians 1, 19, and that is the word hope, right? The word power and the word uh, believe. Now, I just want to get real, real practical with you. Thank you, by the way. Some of y'all, that's painful. I know all these biblical words and studies and Greek and so forth. Some of you struggle with that. Others of you are like, would you just preach a whole hour just like that? That would just tickle. And it's so funny. It's, it's so fun being a pastor because you, you make everybody mad at least once in a sermon. And you make everybody glad once or twice. But I, I want to just, I want to move now. Basically, the foundation is what I just shared with you. Now, I just, if I can, just be just real practical 
on how this can change our lives. Okay, so three simple, practical words for you. All right, the first one is this. Listen to the voice of truth. Okay, listen uh, to the voice of truth. There are competing voices, right, in this world. Uh, There's the voice of the devil who speaks, and Jesus says in John 8, by the way, whenever he speaks, he lies, because that's, uh, you know, the little little phrase, you know, know they're lying if their mouth and their lips are moving. That, That is the way with the devil, because John 8 says he's a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. He will speak falsity, falsehood, deception, accusation. And so you and I, look, look now, we're not going to listen to that. We should not listen to that, nor should we listen to our own condemning voices because sometimes we will condemn ourselves and we will speak not words of truth, but also words of falsity. And so what I want to share with you today is listen to the voice of truth. And I submit to you, this is the voice of truth. This is the word of God. Believe it practice it, listen to it, memorize it. And whenever there is a competition between what this says and what you think or what the world may say or think, I would submit to you, please always go with this. This is the voice, the voice of truth. Romans 15, 13, Ephesians 1, 19 are just two verses out of the 66 chapters that God has preserved for us in the sacred canon of holy writ, holy scripture, Listen to the voice of truth. Now, here's where Ray Johnston really helps me. He says, here are some things that can kill your passion as a Christian. Unkind critics, unbalanced schedules, and unnecessary guilt. Can I say those again? Here are some things. He calls these toxic passion killers. The first one he mentions are is unkind critics Number two, unbalanced, whacked up schedules. And number three, unnecessary guilt. Then he says, here are the things we can do to resupply our hope and to diminish the voices of darkness. We can do the following. And I love this. He says, we can recharge by investing in our own growth, understanding the power of worship. Love that. Understanding the power of the word of God, the Bible, And number three, being careful who we listen to. Being careful who we listen to. And that that to me is just what I want to stress and drive home with us today, that there are competing voices. Last week I said we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start speaking to ourselves. And that's great advice. Stop listening to the critics and the voices of darkness and listen to the voice of truth. Look, listen to the voice of hope. If you hear this voice telling you it is going to be okay, God is in control. He has not abdicated his sovereign throne. He is working all things together for your blessing, for your benefit, and for your good. I would submit to you that is God talking. Listen to them. Listen to him talk to you. I call it the voice of truth. Now, it's kind of a funny story, but it's it's kind of a sad story too about the mom who took her son to the the restaurant and they're eating and just having a good time and they're bringing in the food and and the little boy says, mom, I want to say the blessing. And she says, well, sure, honey, go ahead. And 
and I wrote down his prayer. He said, God is good. God is great. Lord, I thank you for the food, and I thank you even more that my mom is about to order me some ice cream. <laughs> With liberty and justice for all. Amen. <laughs> that, that was his prayer. And, and a lot of people in the restaurant did exactly what you just did, except one person. There's an elderly lady who took offense at such a prayer, and she got vocal about it, and she goes, ah, kids these days, asking God for ice cream, you ought to be ashamed. I would submit to you, by the way, that is not the voice of God. I, I'm just, I'm just going to go on record and say, whenever you hear voices like that, that is not the voice of God. And so the little boy's lip began to quiver, tears welled up in his eyes, and the mom was about to go lay hands on this woman. You know what I'm saying? I mean, moms, you know, don't mess with my babies. Don't mess with my cubs, you know. And so she just took a deep breath. And here comes this elderly gentleman. And Ray Johnston tells the story beautifully. He goes, the elderly gentleman walks over to the little boy. He gets down on one knee. And he says, hey, young man, I heard your prayer. God heard your prayer. And I know God. And God loved your prayer. And the little boy said, you think so? He goes, well, I know so. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to ask God for ice cream. Aren't you glad about it? It's okay to ask God for ice cream. He said, he, he said, ice cream helps us all. It's good for our souls. Too bad. She didn't ask God for ice cream. You know, ice cream would be good for her. So sure enough, the mom ordered the biggest bowl of chocolate ice cream on the menu, and they brought it, set it before the little boy, and the little boy got up, walked over to the cantankerous angry woman, and gave it to her and said, ice cream is good for the soul. My soul's good already. Here, you take it. <laughs> yeah. Look, there's a lot of voices going on in this story, right? There's the voice of truth that sounds something like this. Hey, young man, I heard your, do y'all hear, you with me? I heard your prayer. God heard your prayer. It's okay to ask God for ice cream. It's okay. That's, that would be the voice of reason, the voice of truth, the voice of negativity. The unkind critic would go something like, ah, Look, when anybody starts like that, don't listen to them, okay? That, that's, that's the preface to a lot of negativity. Ah. Oh, kids these days asking God for ice cream. They ought to be ashamed, shame, guilt, condemnation. Don't listen to that voice. That is not the voice of God. The voice of truth sounds something like this. God is for you. God is not against you. God loves you. God created you. God wants what is absolutely best for you. Trust in him. That's the voice of truth. I don't know about y'all. But I hear a bunch of voices. Some of y'all are trying to diagnose me. Please don't diagnose me, but I hear voices. And I have to be careful. What is the voice of truth? What is the voice of lies? A lot of times it's my own worst case scenario. That, that's, <laughs> go ahead, y'all can diagnose me. I know it goes back to my childhood because a lot of times in my childhood, the worst case scenario that could possibly happen would happen. The beatings. <sighs> the cursing, the you're an idiot, you are dumb. You know, do y'all hear those voices? I hear those voices, and they come back, and it's the voice of my dad. 
And here I am, 56 years of age, and when those voices start bellowing out of the depths of hell, I have an opportunity. I can take that in and start believing it and start just getting angry and start dealing with feelings of unforgiveness. Or I can say, wait a minute, that is not of God. I've settled that. I've forgiven that. I've moved on for that. So I'm not going to listen to that. And then I listen to what Jesus has to say about me and about you and what his word says. And so, look, don't listen to the voices of darkness. Listen to the voice of truth. The second thing I would submit to you, it's helped me a lot, and I hope it helps you, is look forward and not backward. <laughs> look ahead and don't look uh, behind. This past year, I, I took a word... Um, I've never done this before, and if I do it again, I'll be sure and tell you next week in my State of the Church sermon that I'll be preaching. Uh, but if I do get a word for 2021, uh, I, I, I'm going to receive it. But my word last year was the word forward. How many times did I go back to that word in 2020? I can't tell you how many times. That it would look dark, it would look dismal. And yet I, I would be reminded, and oftentimes I would sign my emails or I would sign my correspondence with this one word, forward. It sounds a lot like toward or upward. It has that connotation that don't look behind you. And don't even sometimes, don't even look around you. Have hope of an expectation, to use the word of Turkers, to use the word resurrection, dance into that melody of hope and joy in the future and don't be so concerned. The past is past. I'm going to use an illustration with you for just a moment. You know, when you're driving down the road, there is a called a rear view mirror. It's about this big. Y'all with me? Y'all with me over here? Rear view mirror, it's about this, this, yay, yay, that, okay? What if you spent your time driving down the highway looking in the rear view mirror? You would be so incredibly dangerous. You'd be running off the road. You'd be running us off of the road. You'd be going into the ditch because you're looking at where you've been. You're looking behind you, or maybe you're looking in fear on who's coming up on you. I would submit to you, quit looking at the small, myopic, provincial rearview mirror and look at the big windshield ahead. That has to do with hope. That has to do with future. That has to do with promise. Looking ahead and not looking Behind, And I, I tell you, this is where we get in trouble. This is where I, let me rephrase it. This is where I get in trouble. Because I look back, oh, maybe regret or, oh, why did they do that? Oh, why did she say that? And we dwell in the past and God is like, I call it the past. It's gone. You, you can't change that. Move forward. Move ahead. Look toward what God has for you in store. Oswald Chambers, he says, Beware of spending too much time looking back at, one, at what you once were when God wants you to become something you've never been. Oswald Chambers. Leon Morris says, No one really can hope unless by faith he turns away from the past, that is, from himself, to offer himself to God who is the creator and the dispenser of the world to come. Pastor Johnson puts it this way, raise your expectations. 
believe that better days are ahead. And in my simple terminology, this is the way I put it, hope again. Hope again. Look to the future. You know, Howard Hendricks um, is a wonderful Bible teacher, passed away just a couple of years ago. He, he taught theology for 50 years at the Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. Um, Howard Hendricks was a gifted communicator, a very gifted theologian, and he impacted so many people for the gospel. Um, I have good friends of mine who studied there and probably studied under the tutelage of Howard Hendricks. I don't know these men personally. I've met David Jeremiah, uh, Leon. I don't know him personally, but I know he's a phenomenal Bible expositor, teacher, preacher. He would tell you the person who had the most influence on me in my life was Howard Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks. Chuck Swindoll, I know I'm kind of dating myself. Chuck Swindoll, anybody know that name? Chuck Swindoll, I love Chuck Swindoll. He's, I think he's almost 80 years of age. He's still pastoring, going strong up there in Dallas. When he was studying at the Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks came to his desk and he wrote on his paper, Chuck, you will write, period. Y'all with me? The professor saw something in the student. And he said, you're going to make an amazing author. Now, Chuck Swindoll's gone on to write hundreds, but dozens of books worth millions and millions of royalties and dollars that he's received. And he will say, it all started because somebody believed in me. Well, let me tell you about Howard Hendricks, something that you may not know. You might know, but you may not. When he was a baby... His parents said, we don't want a baby. (laughs) This is too much for us. So they gave Howard Hendricks to the grandparents. Actually gave it to one of the grandmothers. And the grandmother tried to raise him the best that she could. Howard Hendricks was one of those young boys that's just full of life, full of mischievousness. Not that any of us would know anything about that, right? But this little boy, he would just get into all kinds of trouble. He had this gifted mind and... I I don't know a whole lot about pedagogy. I don't know a whole lot about child education, but this much I do know. If you got some active minds, especially with little boys, one of the worst things we can do is coop them up in a room for eight hours. We got to let these guys out. Let them run. Let them enjoy. And so anyhow, it's just just my thoughts. So Howard Hendricks would get in trouble. He got in so much trouble that his fifth grade teacher tied him to the chair in the classroom and put tape over his mouth. (laughs) And if you do that today, obviously you're going to jail for a very long time, but this was a different day. All right. This was, I don't know if y'all, anybody here old enough to remember when they used to spank the fire out of your behind. Anybody remember those days? We had a guy in my high school, coach Addison. He played for the Houston Oilers. I'm dating myself, Houston Texans. His biceps and triceps were this big around. He had a paddle this wide, and he would take that, and he gave my brother a spanking with this thing one time, and he would take his left hand, and he would light you up. Woo, I'm glad we don't do that anymore, but anyhow, there was some good that came, came out of that. Well, anyhow, this lady, she taped his mouth, tied him, and she said, you are terrible. You and your buddies are going to end up in prison. That's what she told Howard Hendricks. She was a prophetess. Three of the five buddies that he ran with ended up in prison. 
But you're looking at me like, but Howard Hendricks didn't end up in prison. What happened? What happened? Something happened to this young boy. And I'm going to tell you what happened. He went to the sixth grade. And he's sitting in the sixth grade. His arms are crossed. He's leaning back. He slouched down in his chair. And the sixth grade teacher began to call the roll. I don't know if they still call roll or not these days. Maybe they do it on the blackboard, you know, electronically. But anyhow, she called his name, Howard Hendricks. He said, yes. And she stopped. She put down the roll and she looked at him and she said, oh, so you are Howard Hendricks. He goes, yeah. And she said, I've heard a lot about you. And he said, so what? I mean, he, he's angry, right? Mom and dad doesn't want him. One teacher used to tie him up, tell him he's a nobody, he's going to go to prison. And then what she said next, it changed his life. She said, Howard Hendricks, yes. I've heard a lot about you, yes. And I don't believe a word of it. He said, what? She said, I don't believe any of that stuff. I believe you're a fine young man. You're going to turn out okay. Listen, listen. he would tell you if he were alive today, her name was Miss No. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? N-O-E, sixth grade, Miss No saw something in me. She saw a future in me when everybody else could only tie me to my past. I would submit to you today, Great Hills Baptist Church and anybody listening online. Don't look back, as Boston would say. Don't look back, but look ahead. Look forward. That's where God is. God is saying, come on, expectation. Come on, resurrection. Come on, the future is bright with the glory of God. Look ahead and don't look behind. And the last thing I would, I would share with you, and again, these are just, these are my personal thoughts with Ray Johnston kind of mixed in, co-mingled in with it. And you knew, you've never heard these because when I preached this before, I hadn't quite developed all of this yet. And I'm still developing it. And here's my last thing and I'm done. Develop a rhythm of rest. Develop, I'm calling this a rhythm of rest. In our crazy, busy culture and world, one of the things that we have compromised and we've given away is the ability to rest. Um, I don't know what y'all got for Christmas. I'm not wearing it today. And I was tempted to, Ashley, because I haven't worn a watch in years and years. It wasn't a Rolex that she gave me. Maybe in 20 years she'll give me a Rolex. I've always wanted a Rolex. But anyhow, she got me an Apple Nike watch. I love that watch. I'm telling you, that watch buzzes me, and I don't even have to grab my phone, and it tells me what the text says. Or it tells me what the email is. Or it, it tells me, hey, it's time to breathe. I'm like, What? And basically the watch is saying, you need to chill for just a second. Take some deep breaths. And I'm like, I bet people look at me and think I'm crazy. I'm looking at my watch going, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, breathe, relax. Develop this rhythm, what I'm calling a rhythm of rest. You know, one, one of my many uh, 
strengths, weaknesses, idiosyncrasies is being a workaholic, loving to work. I love to work. I love pastoring a church. I love being an evangelist. I love writing. I love doing devotions and I love doing podcasts. And I, I just, I love to work. And, but the Holy Spirit began to convict me about two years ago that if I stay at this pace, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to, I'm going to flame out and burn out. I'm certainly not going to max out for the glory of God. And so God used some of you, some of you deacons in the church, and some of you, not to mention any names like Cindy Asmussen, but anyhow, there's some of you people in the church who personally spoke words to me, words like, the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you something. Now, I'm, I'm always sus- suspect of people like, did the Holy Spirit really tell you that? But when somebody like Cindy says that to me, I, I listen, or Andy Spencer, or Jason Mann, they're like, look, Pastor, you, you need to slow down. Do y'all have people like that in y'all's lives who love you so much they'll tell you what you don't want to hear because they love you and they want you to succeed. They don't want you to flame out. And then my sister-in-law, Ann Michelle East, she gives me this book. Literally, the name of the book is Take the Day Off. I don't know how God speaks to y'all, but man, God was speaking to me. So I read this book. I devoured this book. Another book by Wayne Cadero, uh, Leading on Empty. And Peter Scacero, the emotionally healthy leader. I'm reading all these books. I'm digesting it. And all of them say the same thing. You have to take time off. And by the way, when y'all gave me this sabbatic a few, few months ago, oh my word, I'm just so grateful to God that you did that. I think it keep, kept me in the game. It probably added years to my life and life to my years and I was just on an unhealthy path of workaholic. So now I take a day off. One day, I take a day off, and I don't do anything. Unless it's just a grand emergency, and you need me, and there's a hospital, or there's a funeral, or there's something, there's the ox is in the ditch. Y'all with me? Am I speaking? Can y'all hear what I'm saying? I take the day off. I read. I work out. I don't hit the golf ball very well, but I'll go hit it. My wife and I take walks. It's the best thing I've ever done. I'm so grateful to God that I'm learning a rhythm of rest, of slowing down. I don't know who this is for. Some of y'all are like, dude, I don't have that problem. I can take off five days away. I don't know what your problem is, but I don't have that problem. God bless you, okay? We all got our hangups and our habits and our quackiness, right? idiosyncrasies and eccentricities. We all got these things in mind. This is, this is my lane, and this is where I'm having to develop what I'm calling this rhythm of rest. I don't know why I preach this sermon so often. I don't know if it's my payday someday sermon. I don't know if y'all know that, R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee, he's, he's known for the sermon, Payday Someday. When he first preached it, he was the pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. It took him about 30, 40 minutes to preach it. After 30 to 40 years of preaching it, every time he preached it, it would increase. And he got it up to like two hours, two hours. Now, I don't know the next time I'll preach this. I know I'll preach it again somewhere because I believe God is using it to help people like me who listen to voices of darkness way too often who get too busy and need to slow down and need to trust, trust, trust in God. 
I'd ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And would you let this, this message just kind of sink into your soul for just a minute? I, I really don't know where you are and what you're battling, what your demons are that you're battling. But maybe there's enough spoken here today, and not so much what I said in my three statements, but really in the hope, the power, faith. Maybe I could summarize it like this. If you want a hope for a brighter future and you want the power of God unleashed in your life today, then trust in God. Believe in Him. Jettison the voices of darkness and doubt and fear. Look ahead. Don't look behind. Take time off. Slow down. and Raise your expectations. Listen to the voice of truth. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're listening online and the Holy Spirit of God has really spoken to you. He's arrested your soul and He slowed you down for a moment. Let's capture this moment. Let's, let's make some concrete commitments to the Lord. Why don't you do that now? Maybe you're listening in and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never surrendered. You still hold the reins of control. <laughs> I'm chuckling because I, I've been there. You still want to call the shots and God says, trust me, lay it down, repent, believe, turn to me, turn to me, Jesus says, and be saved. I invite you to do that even now. Trust God for salvation. Let your faith reach into the eternal and trust in the Lord. Some of you are here today and you're a lot like me. You may not want to admit it, but you do have your hangups. You do have your hiccups. You do have your trip-ups. Would you let the Word of God speak to you today? Would you, would you just receive the truth? If you didn't hear anything else, I hope you heard this. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And that you may over abundantly overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you receive it? Would you just make an altar right there where it's just you and God? Mark Batterson said, draw a circle around yourself and just, just pretend there's nobody in this room. It's just you. It's just you and the Lord. Oh my goodness, friend, he sure does love you very much. You are the treasure and the apple of his eye. He created you exactly the way he wanted to create you. And there is nobody in this world quite like you. Your DNA is your DNA. Your fingerprint is yours alone. And God absolutely loves you. He loves you very much. Would you trust Him? Would you believe in His voice of truth? What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of God's mighty power? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, you would speak 
drown out the voices of darkness. Lord, may this be a sacred moment. Lord, may this be a pinnacle moment where the Spirit of God wins such a mighty battle. A battle of the soul, Lord, a battle of the mind. And may it triumphantly register with them from this day to the day you call us home. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Jeff's going to come and we're going to sing. And I, I love this part of our service. We just continue this time of worship and time of listening to the voices of truth. I invite you to participate with us now, Jeff, you come.